Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see you guys. It's always a privilege and a joy to come here and share God's Word with you. Um, so why don't we open with a word of prayer and then we'll get started with our lesson tonight. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. For sending your Son to die on a cross to save broken people like us. For sending your Holy Spirit to come and to uh, convict us of our sins and convince us of our need for you and to confirm that we are your children. And so, Lord, we, we're taking time tonight as you command us uh, to study your word, to show ourselves approved. And we pray that you and uh, you alone, you Holy Spirit, will, will open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to these truths. Help us to receive them. Help us to believe them. Help us to confirm them. Help us to, to see what is true and what is right and what is good and put aside things that are wrong. Uh, keep us from speculation. Keep us in your word. It is through your word, Lord, that we are conformed to your son's image, and we pray that you will do that in all of our lives. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, for those of y'all who have not been a part of this group before, as you can see, I'm going to quickly review this worksheet. We're not going to stay on it long at all tonight because we do have a lot to talk about in our lesson. We're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. And right away, even if you are a, a beginner in Bible study, you will know that Jesus does not physically touch down on the earth when, until when? Until Mary is, until he's born of a virgin. Jesus is eternal. He's God. He is eternal God. He is the Son of God. He is fully God. And not only is He 100% God, but He's 100% man. He was born of a virgin. He clothed Himself in humanity so that we could know Him, so that we could see Him and understand Him, so that we could receive Him, and so that we could believe Him. And so, as you read through the Old Testament, you might not think Jesus is there because He's not born until after Malachi and into the book of Matthew. But the reality is, God is eternal Jesus is eternal. And one of the keys to us understanding the entire redemptive narrative, that's a big fancy term for saying the story of the Bible. It's redemption. It's God redeeming His people from a fall into sin. And it's a narrative. It runs from Genesis to Revelation. And the theme of the entire book is Jesus. It's not you and it's not me. It's Jesus. Everything in Scriptures points to Him. And once we grasp that reality, once we begin to see Him in His pre-incarnate state, once we begin to see Him in the words of the Old Testament, not only does it help us to realize that God has made promises from before the foundation of the world, and He has kept those promises, and He will continue to keep those promises. And in the same way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob could not see Jesus with their physical eyes, they believed in the, the seed of Abraham. They believed in the promised seed. They believed that one was coming that was going to save them, and they were looking forward to Him. They didn't know who He was. They didn't know what He was going to look like. But they did have Scriptures to teach them about who He was. And now that we're in the New Testament, and now that the Holy Spirit lives within you and I, uh, as believers, we can look back into the Old Testament and see, see it plainly. And we need to remember that the, the prophets in the Old Testament... Uh, saw through through a visor, through a veil. They couldn't see it clearly, but they did prophesy that He was coming. And so, 
um, one of the ways that G, the the way that Jesus taught his disciples is explained to us in the book of Luke uh, on the road to Emmaus. This is um, right after Jesus rose from the dead and he first appears to some of his disciples. And if you look at those passages in Luke chapter 24, it says, Jesus said, Oh, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now remember, Jesus is saying this in about 33 AD. And what that means is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. None of those books have been written yet. So when Jesus talks about the prophets, he's talking about Daniel. He's talking about Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Lamentations is one of Jeremiah's writings. He's not a prophet. Lamentations is not a prophet. Right? Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Right? He's talking about the prophets. Not only that, but Moses was a prophet too, wasn't he? Jesus promised, or Moses promised that one day a greater prophet than me will come along. And so all through the Old Testament we have prophecies. And Jesus was teaching these, these disciples and he said, you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So why do we study Jesus in the Old Testament? Because it is the way that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus would go to the Old Testament and teach his disciples about him in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as much scripture, it is just as God breathed as the book of Revelation. And so he also said, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. When Jesus, through the power of his preached word and the Holy Spirit, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, what did he point them to? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Jehovah, He pointed them to the Old Testament and he opened their minds to understand it. And it was all about him. The Bible is Christocentric. Your salvation is Christocentric. It's not about you, it's about Him. On the day, on that final resurrection day, on the day of the Lord, when we all receive our glorified bodies, it's not going to be about your glory, it's going to be about His. Amen. It's all going to be about Him. And when we, in our hearts, in our minds, and our meditations, and our prayers, and our study of the Word of God, and our fellowship and our worship become Christocentric, we're on point. And how do we become Christocentric? We read His Word. We study His Word to show ourselves approved. And Jesus taught this way. So why do we teach about Jesus in the Old Testament? It's because that's the way Jesus taught. So look, the important uh, reasons to see Jesus in the Old Testament. We've already spoke about Jesus taught His disciples this way. Number two, the entirety of Scripture is theocentric, Christocentric. It's about knowing God. It's all about Him. Number three, Jesus is God and has revealed Himself to us through the declaration and the fulfilling of His promises. Remember in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, 14, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Creator. And for those of y'all who have been a part of our classes, uh, remember last time we were together, we talked about Jesus in the creation. Jesus in the creation. God said, let there be 
light, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Boom, there he is, you see? And, uh, and so, uh, how are some different ways that we see Jesus? And this is what I want to continue to get you to focus on. These are some of the ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. And I've listed five for you. So every time we go through a study or every time you're in the Old Testament, uh, maybe uh, maybe it's a, it's an afternoon class, it's really hot and warm in here, and you're having a hard time focusing, and some guy's teaching you about Hezekiah or uh, <coughs> preaching out of the, uh, some book that you've never read before, and maybe you're kind of bored and not focusing, right? Take out this little sheet of paper and find Jesus in the Scripture that the man is teaching from because he's there. And how are the different ways that we find him? Number one, we find him in genealogies. What are genealogies? Family trees, right? Now tonight, when we get into Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk about Jesus in the fall. Who fell? Adam. And if you go to Jesus' family tree in the book of Luke, you will find out that it runs all the way back to Adam. Jesus is in the family tree of Adam. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He's 200%. And you and I can't understand that because we can't be 100% of anything. We're just 100% sinners, right? All right, so uh, we not only do we see him in genealogies, but we see him in prophecies. So tonight, as we're studying this, I want you to find him in genealogies, and I want you to find him in prophecies. Now, as teacher of this class, I'm going to focus on these things, and I'm going to help you see. Like, that's going to be a point of the class tonight. We're going to see him in prophecies in, in the fall. Types and shadows. Hints of things to come. We can think of prophets and priests and kings and altars and sacrifices. I was just talking to a guy today, um, talking about the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and he said, well, well, they didn't understand. Peter and James, and them, they didn't understand about Jesus being a sacrifice. I said, what are you talking about? I said for 1,400 years they've been slicing goat's throats and pouring blood out. They understood the concept of sacrifice. They were choking in the blood of animals, weren't they? And you know what? Every year they had to go back to the temple and offer more sacrifices because none of the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. But when Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross and he poured his blood out through one sacrifice, he perfected forever all of those who were in Christ, right? And so, yes, um, sacrifices and temples. Remember, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? The tabernacle, the temple is a place where you go to meet God. And how are you and I to meet God? Through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the one that we go to to go to God. And so um, our dwelling place is with Christ. Remember what he told the woman at the well? She said, y'all go down there to Jerusalem. Where do we go to worship? He said, the time is coming and now is when those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth, right? And it's because our temple is Christ. He is the meeting place. Matter of fact, in the book of the Revelation, it says what? There's no temple there. Why? Because Christ is the temple. Christ is the place that we go to to meet the Father. Alright? So we see him in types and shadows. Kings and prophets and priests. We see him in themes. Repetitive things that happen throughout the Bible. You remember all of the stories about <clears throat> these women that couldn't have babies, right? And they would they would get pregnant through miraculous means. Can y'all think of an example of that? Hannah. Hannah. Alright, who, who else? Any Sarah, good. That's another one. All right. What about uh, Samson's wife, uh, Samson's mom? She couldn't have babies, right? Remember, she had to go and, and pray. Uh, who else? Ruth. Ruth, yeah. yeah. 
Well, she could really couldn't have kids because she didn't have a husband. Her husband died. But but there's a point to that that she was a bride without a husband. Um, how about um, Mary? That would probably be a pretty good one. It's impossible for her to have kids, is it not? Right. So all of these themes that you continually see throughout the scriptures: light, bread, younger brothers beating up older brother, older brothers beating up younger brothers. Right. Jo- uh, Joseph's brothers, what they do? They beat him up. Right. Esau, what did he do? He always picked on Jacob, right? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, good, very good. All right, y'all see what I'm saying? And uh, Adam is the older brother. Jesus is the younger brother. And what did Adam do to Jesus? Try to kill him, right? And so it, there's these themes all through scriptures, and they always point us to Christ, all right? And finally, theophanies, pre-incarnate appearances of the coming one. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the Bible also says that no one has seen God at any time because He's a spirit. But we know in the fall, right before the fall, that God walked in the garden with Adam every day, didn't He? He walked and talked with Him every day. Hmm. Right. <clears throat> Do you remember when Joshua was fixing to go in and take the promised land and he met the angel of the Lord? Joshua fell down at the angel of the Lord's feet. And you know what the angel of the Lord did? He received his worship. That's important. Because almost every time in the Bible when somebody falls down at an angel's feet, what does the angel always say? Get up. You don't worship me. I'm a man. Just I'm a creature just like creature just like you are. Get up. But when Joshua fell down at the feet of the angel of the Lord, he received his worship today. So there are all kinds of times in the Old Testament where Christ makes appearances. Pre-incarnate. And those are called theophanies or God appearances. That's what that word means if you break it apart. God appearances. Okay? So tonight we're going to talk about the fall. We've got about 45 minutes to talk about the fall. There's a lot to talk about. Um, You see the things we're looking for. Genealogies, prophecies, types and shadows, themes and theophanies. Let's open up our text to um, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll get started there. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree that which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate and she gave some also to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said to him, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? 
And the man said, The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, I will put a hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then he said to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall uh, grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which it was taken. He was taken. So he drove the man out at the east of the garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. All right. So this is the fall of man. This is where it all all of the troubles began for us. Right. All of the troubles began for us. And um, so last time we were together. Um, we talked about how we could see Jesus in the creation. I remember one of the last things that we said was that God put Adam to sleep. And then God reached into his side and pulled what? A rib out of his side. And with that rib, what did he make? A woman. And the two became one, right? A husband and wife. And so how did, does anybody remember how we said we saw Jesus in that picture? Does anybody remember from last time we were together? Huh? Good. When they pierced Jesus in the side, the blood came out. And with that blood, what did he purchase? For his bride, the church, right? So through the piercing of that side, through that blood pouring out, a bride was formed from that from that piercing, from 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 that. And so we see not only, and what happened to him, he went to sleep, didn't he? And in the Bible, what does sleep often represent? Death. So through his death and through the piercing of his side, his bride was purchased. The blood poured out and through his side came his bride. And so we saw a picture of that. Now today, we we take over and we need to go back and remember what God um, had, had told Adam, he had told Adam, in verse 9 of chapter 2, he said, Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing uh, to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? The knowledge of good and evil. And he said in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man and said, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now, when God commands something, is that a suggestion? 
No, it's it's a command. You're told to do it, right? The law. Are the is the law called the Ten Commandments? Right. Yeah, we're told to do those. And and uh, you know the, the reality is is that you and I are responsible for the law of God. Did you know that? Now you'll say, well, I'm a Christian and I don't have to do the law anymore. I'm not under the law. No, you're not under the law, but the law now lifts you up to be the person that you're supposed to be. See, the law still points us to God. The law is a uh, proclamation of God's will. It's a proclamation of God's will. And remember what Jesus did with the Ten Commandments? He said the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? On these two laws hang all of the law and the prophets. So what Jesus was saying was the law is a declaration of God saying, this is what it looks like to love me, and this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. All right? So you and I are just as much responsible today for loving God and loving our neighbor as we were before we were saved. The difference is, is when God changes your heart, now you have the desire to do the law. Where before you were saved, you didn't want anything to do with it. Now, do we always desire to do the law as Christians now? No. We still struggle with our fallen nature. But the reality is the laws are commands of God to do. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your parents. These are things that you do in order to love God and love your neighbor. And the law is still just as much in place today as it was then. It is God's will for mankind. And the beauty of it is is that now you have a heart that is willing to do it, not because you have to, but because you want to. That's one of the truest indications that you're a child of God. When God's law becomes a delight and not a demand. Okay? So he commands Adam and Eve, you can eat from all of these trees out here, but from that one tree right there, do not eat from that tree. The day that you eat from it, you will surely die. <clears throat> so he says, it's all yours. I've given you everything here, and here's here one law, your one rule. Don't eat from that tree. And that takes us into this fall, and it says that the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. And I want you to see what the serpent does. The serpent, the first thing that he gets Eve to do is to question question God and what God says. If you, if, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but you look in verse um, 1. The serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not from eat of any tree in the garden? So the, that's actually, you can go back and look for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. But that's the first question mark in the Bible. Like that's the first interrogative statement in all of the Bible. And what is it? Did God really say that? So what does the devil get Eve to do? Question what God says. What do we call what God says? Command. It's command. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So the first thing that the devil gets Eve to do is question what God says. There are a lot of Christians out there in the world that we live in today that actually believe that, um, well, the Bible's got errors in it and the Bible's got contradictions in it. 
There's a lot of people that believe that. that some of them are even born again like Christians. That really, and they, they say, well, how do we know this is exactly what the disciples, the apostles wrote back then? Like, it, it's been translated over thousands of years and we, and it's been Greek and Hebrew and Latin and da, 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 da. How do we know that this is even what they said? <coughs> One of the things that you need to realize is, what are you doing when you say that? The question and the veracity of the... The <clears throat> validity of God's word. Yes, it has been translated. But Paul tells us and reminds Timothy what? All scripture is God breathed and profitable for reproof, instruction. All scripture is God breathed. So what that means is the men that originally pinned that down, and I had a guy just tell me this yesterday. Well, well we don't have any of the original writings of the apostles, so how do we know that's what they really wrote down? All right. Well, I do know this. I know that God breathed those words through those men. And if God was concerned enough for me and you to know what He says by breathing those words through those men, I can promise you one of the main themes in Scripture is that God can use broken and sin-filled and error-filled people to get His purpose across. That's one of the main things of the Bible that God uses busted people to get His will done. Alright? So, if God cared enough to breathe these words out through these men and wrote it down, do you think that God might be capable of preserving His Word through time? You better believe it. But I want you, I say this because I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When you begin to question the validity of God's Word, you are on shaky ground. Think about something as simple in, in, here in the fall today. So uh, the evolutionists would tell you there's no such person as Adam. That's just a that's just a metaphor for humanity. Well, what's the problem with saying there's no such thing as Adam? Huh? There's no God. There's no Adam. What's the problem with that? Huh? Well, we've learned we learn just in this little group here that Adam is a part of Jesus's family tree. And if there's no Adam, then you've just chopped Jesus' family tree off at roots. Can you understand why they might want to question the validity of a real Adam? Because if they can erase Adam, they can erase Jesus. It's always about questioning God's truth. Now, I I grant you, there are a lot of things in the Bible that don't make sense. But I can promise you this. Any perceived... Uh, contradictions in the Scripture is only there because you don't understand what it's saying. The contradiction is in your understanding of what God's Word says. God don't contradict Himself. And James does not contradict Paul and Paul does not contradict Peter because all of Scripture is God-breathed. It all is breathed out through the breath of God and God don't contradict Himself. He don't stutter and He don't make mistakes. And He don't say things that He has to take back. So God commands them and says, don't eat from this tree. The day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. God has given them His Word. He's given them His promise. And what is that promise? Don't eat from that tree or you die. And what does the serpent do? He comes in and immediately he questions what God says. Did God really say that? And I bring that up because that's the devil's ploy every time. It's how he gets me and you every time. First, he gets you to question God. Then he gets you to doubt God. And then he always winds up putting words in God's mouth. 
Watch what he said to Eve. Did God really say that? You're not going to die. Now, what did God just told Eve or Adam? You eat from that tree, you will die. And what did the serpent say? Did God really say that? He gets you to question God. Then what did he say? You're not going to die. How many of us have went down the wrong road in life thinking we could do something and get away with it? It's not going to hurt you that bad. You're not going to die. That's great talk. But the wages of sin is death. And that's what Jesus was telling And that's what God was telling them in the garden. If you eat from that tree, I will pay you what you deserve. And that's going to be death. Don't eat from that tree. I give you my word. Trust me. Follow me. Walk with me. You live. Turn from me and you die. And then here comes the devil and says, what? Did God really say that? You're not going to die. See, God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference of good and evil. And you're going to be just like God. See what the devil did? God knows. And now what's he going to do? He's going to put the quotation marks and tell them the things that God knows that he's not telling them. Speculation. God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference in good and evil. And you're going to be just like God. Now, the devil is telling the half-truth. A matter of fact, look at what happens when they eat from the tree. Look what it says in verse... Uh, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one one wise, she took the fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. So what did the devil promise? You will know the difference in good and evil. When they bit into that fruit, do they know the difference in good and evil? Yes. For the first time in their life, they know evil. Before they bit that fruit, they had no understanding of what evil was. They were, God created them and they were what? Good. But by turning away from God's promises and turning uh, to the devil's lie and by biting into that, do they now know the difference in good and evil? Yes. Now the problem that you and I have is that we're Adam's kids now and we do know the difference in good and evil, don't we? Well, well, we know that there is good and evil. Our problem is being able to discern what is good and what is evil now. We have a hard time even figuring out what's right and what's wrong anymore. Yeah. We have a whole generation of kids out there right now that can't define a woman. U.S. Supreme Court, the lady that they, they're, they're questioning to be on the Supreme Court the other day, they, the, one of the senators actually said, Ma'am, can you define a woman? And you know what she said? This is going to be a lady that's going to be making the law of the land for the United States. This is what she said. I don't know. I'm not a biologist. They asked her to define what a woman is, and she said, I can't tell you that. I'm not a biologist. We have come to the point where we don't even know the difference in a man and a woman anymore. We can't even discern these things. And so Adam and Eve... Instead of trusting God, instead of trusting His Word and following His Word, they turned away from His Word and they listened to the serpent. And they bit into the tree and and it says, and their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. So, the devil said, uh, your eyes will be open, you will know the difference of good and evil, and you will be just like God. So two out of three ain't half bad, right? And that's how the saying goes. He told them the truth with two of those things, didn't he? 
The problem is, is when their eyes were open, they realized they were very much unlike God. That they were sinful and wicked. And they became afraid. For the first time in their life, they were afraid. They were ashamed. Instead of walking with God, they had to run and hide from Him. Huh? They went against the Word. That's exactly right. They went against His Word. So, uh, God called to the man and He said to him, uh, Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? What is this that you have done? Now, well, what's really cool about that is the devil caused Adam and Eve to fall with a question, didn't he? Did God really say you can't? And you know what God did? He came down in the garden. You know what he did? Question. He asked questions. The difference in the devil's questions and God's questions are the devil's questions drive us away from God. And God, was at, when God asks a question, he, he, he knows the answer already, guys. I got news for you. Like, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. The question was not the question was not rhetorical. It was a question to do what? See if he would turn back to the truth. That's exactly right. Adam, where are you? Here I am. I'm hiding in the bushes. I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? All three of these are questions, aren't they? And you know what Adam did? He threw his wife under the bus. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Yeah, y'all got kids or a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you ask them a question, what do they do? Right? It's not my fault. I didn't do that. It was their fault. It's somebody else. It's somebody's fault. It's just not mine. That's why Adam was saying, God, it's either her fault or it's your fault. Because you gave her to me. If you wouldn't have given her to me, I'd have never ate from that tree myself. There's a problem. Can anybody see the flawed logic in Adam's argument? He had a choice. It's deeper than that. Where did Eve come from? She's a direct expression of him. She's out of him. He was with her. Huh? He was with her. He knew what she was doing. Yeah. 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 And all of us have done that, right? You're sitting in the lunchroom and somebody says, here, taste this. And they know it's awful. They just want you to eat it because they got a bad taste in their mouth. Here, smell this. Smell this. Smell this milk. Oh. And, and the reality is misery loves company, doesn't it? Right? Misery loves company. But the truth of the matter is, is he was saying, God, it's somebody's fault. It's just not mine. It's either her fault or your fault. Now, Paul clears that up for us. So, so for all of you guys in here that's blaming women for your problems, right? All of you guys in here, because that's what country music and the blues is all about. It's always some woman's fault. But the reality is, is she's a direct expression of who we are. All right? So the truth of the matter is we have nobody to blame but ourselves because Paul says it this way. The woman was deceived. I know some of y'all get puffed up and the hair stand on the back of your neck when I tell you that Paul says women aren't supposed to be preachers. But Paul actually does say that. Suffer not a woman to teach in the church. And the reason is, is that women have a, a nature that can be deceived. Men do too. But women are very easily deceived in that way. And what he said was this. That woman in the depths of her heart thought that she was doing something that was going to be good for you and her. 
She was truly deceived and thought that she was doing something that was going to help her and Adam out. Adam willfully knew he was doing wrong. Adam sat right there with his mouth shut and watched her eat something that he knew was going to kill her. And when she didn't fall over dead, he said, give me that. And so now we have this mess going on all over the world. Everything, everything that's going on in the world today is, is because of our fallen nature and because of sin. And everyone in this room said, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have eaten from that tree. Yes, you would. You're Adam's kid. You're a chip off the old block. Right? And you ladies might get puffed up at me and say, well, we don't get to see that. Yes, you do. You're, you're Eve's offspring. And our, our nature has not changed in, in 6,000 years. We are who we are. God designed you and built you the way you are. Be proud of that. And guys, He built you and designed you the way that you are. You were, we were built to complement one another. And we were built to be one. And the way that God designed men and the way that men think and our one-track minds, there's purposes and reasons behind that. And the fact that women are very observant and, and pick up on things that men can't see, there's a reason for that. Right? There's nurture and nature in, in, in all of us. And when we, when we find that uh, mate that God has provided for us, there's a balance there, and we balance one another out. That's how it was supposed to be. But if you'll notice, look what he said. Because they ate from the tree, now cursed is the ground. He's going to put all of these curses on it. And one of the things that he, the cur- what part of the curse is this. Remember, Adam and Eve were built to be equals. Eve came out of his side. And ladies, he didn't come out of you didn't come out of his skull so that you could pick him down all of his life and make him feel bad about himself. And God, he didn't pull her out of your pinky toes so that you can keep your foot on her neck. We were built to balance one another out. And, and before sin entered into the world, there was perfect harmony between the man and the woman. But once the curse takes place, um, first he goes at the devil. First he's going to blame the devil. And what did he say? Cursed are you now. You... Satan were the highest of all the created order. Satan was the archangel in heaven. That word arc means highest. Satan was the highest of all of God's created order. The highest creature in all of God's created order. Now, somebody here might say, wait a minute, now Jesus is higher than Satan, but what's the problem with saying that? Jesus is the creator, not a part of the creation. Okay, you, you see how that works? But as far as creation goes, the devil was the highest. And so what is Jesus saying now? What is God saying to the devil? Because you've done this, now you're going to be lower than the worms. You've gone from being the highest of the created order to the lowest in the created order. You're going to crawl on your snake and eat dust all the days of your life. And he said, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days. Now, I'm also, watch this, because here's one of our ways that we see Jesus, right? I'm going to put an enmity, I'm going to put a hatred, I'm going to put a, a, a conflict between you and the woman, between the serpent and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. So this seed is a he. Now, what do we mean when we say the seed of a man? All right, we don't have to have biology class to go into depth about that. But every one of us in this room were formed from a planted seed of a man. 
We're born of a man's seed. We're all Adam's offspring. Right? But there's only one person ever in the entire world that was born of the seed of a woman. One. Why is there only one that was born of a seed of a woman? Because nature says you've got to be born from the seed of a man. It takes a seed and an egg. But there was one, he, that was born from the seed of a woman. And not only was he born of the seed of the woman, but Satan bruised his heel and he crushed Satan's head. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. How does a snake bruise someone's heel? Bites them, right? What does it say in Isaiah? Death, O death, where is your sting? Grave, where is it? You see? So on the cross, Satan was biting him. But through that death, what did Jesus do? He took all the power away from Satan. He crushed his head. So all the way back in the very beginning, he's saying, okay, devil, you tricked that girl, that woman. But one day, one day, that woman's going to have a baby that's going to get you. One day that woman is going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. And so when you read now, now when you go back and you read the story of Moses and the Hebrew children and Pharaoh and Pharaoh throwing all of the little babies, busting their heads on the rocks and throwing them into the Nile River. Why was Pharaoh trying to kill all the Hebrew boys? Trying to get the promised seed out of the way. Right? He knew that the promise was coming through the seed. The, the line of, of Abel, the line of God. And why do you think that it was that uh, Herod tried killed all the little baby boys from two and under when Jesus was born? Why did he do that? Because he was being empowered by the serpent to try to get the seed, to try to get the promise before the promise got him. And that battle has been going on throughout all the time. That that enmity, that hatred, that fight, that battle. It's been going on the whole time. And so what did he say? One day, <clears throat> that woman is going to have a, uh, a baby that's going to get you. Now, to the woman, he said, I'm going to greatly multiply your pain and childbearing, and the pain you will bring for children, and your desires will be uh, uh, for your husband, but he will rule over you. All right, so just quickly, because I've got just a few minutes, I want to make sure we get all this covered. So real quick, Bruce Jenner does not know what it means to be a woman. He can wear a dress all he wants. But he's never felt what a woman feels every 27th, 28th day. Every month, God reminds a woman that she ate fruit. And I don't know this, but I've been told it hurts really bad. Right? Not only that, I've been told that giving birth to children is probably the greatest pain that there is. But what's amazing about that? As soon as they have the baby, they forget. The, the pain goes away. Right? As soon as the baby's born, like they forget it. It's, it's a gift that God has given them. So it's toil and it's labor. And women die in childbearing, don't they? Uh, uh, Joseph's mom, uh, when, when she had uh, Benjamin, died giving birth to him. And it's a painful thing. And not only that, think about this. Think about the 1,000 years that Adam and Eve lived and watched their kids and how they acted. The very being that came out of her body picked up a rock or however and killed his brother. 
And it's painful and it hurts. But what God is showing us is, is that even through pain and suffering, God can deliver life. Think about that. Through pain and suffering, there's life. And so he, he basically, he's kind of saying to you ladies, he's saying, hey, you screwed it up. But through the curse, I'm going to allow you to take a part in the cure. Through your pain and suffering, a son will be born. A child will be given. You see? And so God had it in place. He had it planned all along. Now, what else does it say? It says, your desire will be towards your husband, but he will rule over you. So basically what that is saying, guys, what it's saying is, when before sin came into the world, they were in harmony. And they trusted one another, and they encouraged one another, and they balanced one another out. All right? Now, according to Scripture, who's supposed to be the head of the family? The man. What's this saying? Because of sin, your desire is going to be to rule over him. You're going to constantly want to be telling him what to do, and it's going to frustrate you because he's going to rule over you. All right, again, now God, God did not put that there so that we can just go around and be cavemen and drag them by the hair and beat them down. Like, that's not the point. The point is, is that the way that God designed the family was that the man was the head of the family. And before the fall, a man did not lord that over his wife, and the wife didn't try to supersede him. Matter of fact, guys, God commands you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You need to love her enough to die for her. And none of us live out of that expectation. But the point is, is that the harmony and the balance is gone. And from now on, the woman is going to try to rule over him. She's going to, and she's going to be frustrated. She's going to be aggravated because he's physically stronger than she is. And it's going to be frustrating. Right? So, what's happening? Sin has come into the world and all of the harmony that God created is crushed. It's all in a mess. What is one of the reasons that Jesus has come into the world? To restore us to who we're supposed to be. Redemption. Reconciliation to God. Right. So to the the man, to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and he's not saying don't take suggestions or advice from your, your wife. He's not saying that. Guys, I can promise you that they they are way ahead of us when it comes to thinking and talking. Like they're already four or five sentences ahead of you when you're trying to reply to something that they say. I, just trust me with that. And they're very observant and they're very keen and they can pick up on things that we can't see. So there's nothing in the world wrong with taking advice from your wife. The problem here is because you have listened to the voice of your wife, what is, what is God saying to him? Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, whose voice was the wife echoing? The serpent. You see? The point was not because you listened to your wife and she was giving you good advice. The point is, you took what your wife was saying over what I said. And because you have done this curse to the ground, all of your life is going to grow thorns and thistles. What was Adam made out of? He was made out of the dust. And so what he said was, 
Every day you're going to wake up and you're going to hit that alarm clock and you're going to go, this sucks. I'm more in debt today than I was yesterday. I'm working harder. The more hours I put in, the more they tax my check. My back hurts. I'm sore. There's no purpose or meaning behind this. My kids don't care about me. My wife doesn't appreciate me. And I hate this job. That's a part of the curse. The curse, a part of the curse is God is subjecting us to the futility of our own wills and desires. And so what he's saying is this. You're going to turn back into dust. So for the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years, in Adam's case, 1,000 years, you're going to go out every day and you're going to dig in the dirt and you're going to pour sweat. And the whole time you're working in that dirt, trying to get it to give you something to eat and sweating and toiling and laboring and getting calluses on your hands and suffering, knowing that one day the end of all of this is basically you're just going to turn it right back into the dust you're digging. Why does life get so meaningless? Why does life get so purposeless? Because we're looking for this fallen world to give us the life that we lost in Adam. We need to look to Christ. He's the only way out of the futility, out of the muck and the mire, out of the despair. Every one of us in this room has struggled with addictions and and I guarantee you that every one of us in this room was looking for something in the creation to give us something that only the Creator could. Which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Only Jesus can give those things to us. Only His Word, only His promise can give those things to us. And the moment we turn from His Word and turn to the creation and look for it to give us what only He can give is the moment we're reminded of how cursed we really are. And so what did He say? He says... By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground because from it you were taken uh, from, for you are dust and to the dust you are, shall return. So then he told the man, he said, your wife's name will be Eve because she is the mother of all living. And then the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So basically he clothed them and then he kicks them out of the garden. Why? Because they can't be in God's presence in that sinful state. Right? So we got four minutes left. I want to share with you one last way that we see Jesus in this. Does anybody see Jesus in verses 20 and 21? Can anybody see Jesus in verse 20 and 21? Jesus sacrificing an animal to cover their bodies. Okay, good. There's sacrifice involved here, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Because he clothed their nakedness with animal skins, right? Why did they need to be clothed with animal skins? Because they were naked and they were going to be in thorns and thistles and nobody wants to run naked through the sticker bushes, right? Right? I mean, that's just the facts of the matter. And so the reality is they were naked. They were ashamed. They were exposed. They were in danger. And what did God do? He killed an animal and He clothed them so that they they could be protected in this cursed state. All right? So what I want you to do now to help you see Jesus in this passage, I want you to go, and we're not going to turn there, but I want you to remember something in the book of 2 Corinthians where it said, He, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of Christ. Amen. What is 2 Corinthians 5, 7 or something? I forget the exact verse. But think about that. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of Christ. So what did Jesus do? He died on the cross, and through the, His sacrifice, 
He then clothed our nakedness. You see how that works? And because I am now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, I can now stand fast in the curse and the fallen world. He's clothed me in His goodness. Not my goodness, His. But He took my death for me. That animal died so that Adam and Eve could live. Christ died so that you and I can live. And remember how we were talking earlier about how the pains and labors of of childbirth? One of the messages throughout all of Scripture and through the world that you live in around you is through death comes life. Right? Flowers die. Fruit falls off the tree and the seeds go into the ground and grow more trees and then the trees grow more fruit. The death and life, right? Any of y'all... Uh, in here, the circle of life crowd, right from the Lion King when you were a kid, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that we can see Jesus in this is because it's been Jesus' plan all along. He loves us. And He created us uh, to walk with Him. And we turned our back on His truth. We turned our back on His command and turned away from life and love and light and truth and turn to the darkness, death, hate, and lies of the serpent. We all fell to the, did God really say? And so, how are we restored to Him? Through hearing His Word. Faith comes by hearing. Yep. Yep. Adam, where are you? I'm here and I'm lost. I'm naked and I'm ashamed. I ate from the tree that you commanded me not to eat from. I deserve to die. But instead of destroying him, he restores him the fellowship. Repent for the kingdom of the hand. So what did Adam have to do? Adam had to turn away from the death, the darkness, the hate, and lies. And he had to turn back to God's love, life, light, and truth. And how did he know that? Because he heard God's voice. The word of God spoke to him, and he responded in faith to that word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. He heard God's Word. He responded in faith. And what did God do? Restored him to fellowship. Right? And that's the theme all through the Bible. All through the Bible. And so now as we read along, next time you see somebody in the Bible trying to kill a bunch of little baby kids, right? A little bunch of baby Jewish kids, it's probably because the serpent is trying to get them to stop the promise from happening. But God's promises are going to happen because when God makes a promise, He always keeps them. So, uh, <clears throat> somebody give me one way that we see Jesus in the fall. Real quick, we got two minutes left. Somebody give me one way we see him in the fall. How did we see him tonight? Good, clothing their nakedness. That it's his righteousness that covers us, right? Okay, good. That's a good one. Anybody else? Uh, verse 22. Okay, what happened in verse 22? He said, The Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in the knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Okay. The tree of life is Jesus. Jesus is the tree of life. Okay. Amen. All right. And uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And not only that, but we seem in the fact that the Lord said, The man has become like one of us. He forgives him. Well, but who is us? Who is God talking to? Is God like echo? Is he in an echo chamber? Who's us? I'm like Jesus. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Right? So we see him there. Anybody else? Look at you. It's not hard. This is not rocket science. How do we see him in a genealogy? How do we see him in a genealogy in, in the fall? Yeah, Adam is Adam is in Christ's bloodline. Good. All right. Uh, what about prophecies? Genesis three fifteen. People, turn there real quick and look. The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. There's a prophecy. One day that woman's going to have a baby that's going to get you, devil. Okay. Uh, types and shadows. Uh, prophets, priests, kings, altars, sacrifices. We seen there. All right. Uh, themes, repetitive themes. Uh, barren women, supernatural births. Sound familiar? Okay. And then last of all, a theophany. God walked with him in the garden, right? We can see him in that. All right. So I want to thank you all for your time. Next time we get back together, what we're going to, I think what we're going to do, we're going to jump ahead a little bit and we're going to see Jesus in the flood. We're going to go to Noah and the flood and see if we, so what I want you to do, I'll be back Friday. I want you, if you can think of it, I want you to think of some ways that we can see Jesus in the flood right now. All right. There's some obvious ones I hope that you pick up on. Maybe there's a few that are not so obvious that we can pick up on Friday when we get back together. Thank you for your time and attention. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for a chance to talk about uh, your son Jesus and what he means for all of us. Thank you for loving us enough to come and save us. Um, Help us uh, to realize what a gift we have. Uh, Help us to share that gift with others and uh, help us to glorify you in all we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.